You already know what time it is. Welcome back into the NFL with AJL, episode 40. We are live on a Friday night. You guys could have been anywhere else in the world. You're right here, tapped in with me on the show. We got a packed episode 40 coming up tonight. Hope everyone's had a blessed week, a great Friday. Week one of the NFL is officially done. Week two kicking off last night. But before we get into the show, y'all, please make sure to like the stream wherever you're watching tonight. Subscribe on YouTube, share the stream wherever you're watching as well. Tell, tell someone who is an NFL fan, a podcast fan in general, to tap into the show. Y'all get in the chat, get in the comments also. Let me know how you're feeling about the NFL season so far. As always, a QR code in the corner of the screen or at the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms. I'm making it so easy for you guys to be able to find me. Get at me on social media, DM me. Let me know the topics you might want to hear about the show. Let me know your opinions again on the NFL season. Packed show, guys. Super loaded. I mean, we got the Eagles Vikings recap, the Jets outlook post Aaron Rodgers. My favorite college quarterbacks right now in college football. Week one injuries that are really impactful going into week two. Teams that have to avoid the 0 2 hole as we do start to already talk about the NFL postseason. We know that's quite a few months away, though. The Tui's respond to Michael Ower about his lawsuit with the blind side, picking every game for week two. And as always, the Hoodat Corner. Again, you guys get in the chat, get in the comments, let me know what you're feeling about the NFL season. Week two is here. Thursday night football has kicked off. And let's go ahead and jump right into it as the Eagles beat the Vikings 34-28 to on Thursday night football. And this was a good game overall. It was kind of slow in the beginning. We weren't really sure about the things that were going to happen in this game. And then all of a sudden, the Eagles pick it up, kind of start to put the game away. We see the Vikings come back, and then the Eagles do seal it. End up, of course, sealing it in this game on Thursday night football. Speaking of the Eagles here, DeAndre Swift, the Eagles fans were asking so much in this game. Why did DeAndre Swift only have one carry? We trade for him. We put him in a part of our offense. And we know that DeAndre Swift coming over from the Detroit Lions, it was a big thing for the Philadelphia Eagles. They wanted him to play that vital part in the offense. They did not want to pay Miles Sanders. And overall, they wanted to keep that same aspect of the running game that was such a strong suit for them in this game as well. And even last season, we'll talk about that here in a little bit in that offense. So seeing DeAndre Swift go for that career night, loved him out of Georgia, everything he did for the team record setting as well to uh, one carry in three yards in week one now to 28 carries 175 yards and a touchdown and, and you look at the Eagles they weren't necessarily super airing it out Jalen Hurts goes for under 200 yards again to start the NFL season now 2-0 but under 200 yards in uh, both of his first two games walking into this year the Eagles have 48 carries in this game for 259 yards and three touchdowns. So they were really throwing it back to the basics, right? And a lot of people are wanting to see that high-flying offense of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and of course now DeAndre Swift being in the mix. Jalen Hurts was in the MVP conversation last year. And we even see A.J. Brown on the sidelines. You know, we talk about wide receivers being divas. They have to get their touches. They have to get their targets in an NFL game because of how vital they are to the offense. Of course, all these guys are making money, and ultimately they, they love the game and want to be able to play it at a high level. The Eagles really took it back to basics here. I mean, you see their offensive line getting the push up front. Again, 48 carries for 259 yards and three touchdowns. Getting back to basic football, winning at the point of attack, getting the foundation set of both sides of the ball, and that's in the trenches. If you can run the football effectively and, of course, force for, uh, four turnovers or, I guess, have the Vikings drop four possessions for you in the turnover battle, 
you're going to be able to win football games. And you can even say that the Eagles should have won this game more uh, by more than they realistically did. Of course, we kind of wanted to see some more out of the offense. People are saying that Jalen Hurts is struggling. I don't know if it's so much of a thing of Jalen Hurts struggling as it is this Eagles, you know, new offensive scheme under the new OC, of course, and Brian Johnson. This is his third year with the team. And people talked about this last year. We see Shane Steichen literally having Anthony Richardson, maybe the most raw prospect we've seen coming out of college, 13 college games, the least accurate quarterback in the FBS coming into the draft. This man's going toe-to-toe in the home opener with the number one overall pick a few years ago in Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent. We know what Trevor Lawrence is absolutely capable of, so you see the toolage of Shane Steichen already. I I was shocked by Anthony Richardson, and not only his preseason debut because he was the best out of all the rookies, but in his NFL Week 1 regular season debut, he was the best out of the rookies as well. Now we see Jalen Hurts not struggling But we see that offensive scheme from last year, a lot of the high-flying plays, which they only had one big shot tonight, or not tonight, but, you know, in the game of Thursday Night Football. And we see that that toolage of Shane Steichen is no longer there. We know he worked with Justin Herbert, worked with uh, Jalen Hurts to get him into that MVP conversation last year. So when you see him now removed from that, the offense is going to look different. It's going to feel different. And If a guy is new at an offensive coordinator position, he's going to take it to the basics and run the football. He understands that he has a powerhouse in Jalen Hurts that can be a threat. He understands DeAndre Swift in that backfield. Again, having a career night. And you go and look at Jalen Hurts' passing chart. It was a lot of those intermediate throws over the middle. The Vikings were playing that soft zone coverage. So Jalen Hurts would be forced to sit in the pocket, kind of look back, have to see the field in an effective way and ultimately go forward and make a play. That is how you have to affect Jalen Hurts. He is such a mental player of the game that you have to get granular with him and knock him really off his pedestal because he can play great off balance. He can play great in the pocket. You have to make him actually work through his plays, which he is clearly great at. They won the football game last night. He did throw an ugly interception, but credit to Brian Flores' defense. We'll get into that in a minute as well about the Vikings. Ooh. <coughs> that was tough. Y'all almost saw me die on camera, if I'm being honest. Ooh, that was really tough. I felt like I was forgetting something and I was getting into the show. Like, I'm high key over here. I'm like, all right, we're getting into the intro of the show. I'm like, what the hell am I forgetting? I told him to subscribe. I told him to follow me. It's high key why I said, y'all let me know what you feel about the NFL season. I'm like, shut up, Adam. Just get into the topic. But, you know, the Eagles having this new offensive scheme here, they're going to take it back to the basics because that is what you do. You win at the point of attack. You set up the run. It makes it easier for the pass. It makes it easier to implement the play action. You win at the point of the attack on the defensive side of the ball. Clearly, your corners and your secondary and your linebackers are going to get some more of that time to really <clears throat> get more of that time to be able to you know ultimately jump in and, and make plays on the defensive side of the football. But again, Jalen Hurts under 200 yards for the second straight week. He only did this four Total times last year. It didn't even happen for the first five weeks. He had three straight weeks of it for uh, weeks 9, 10, and 11, or under 200-yard games as well. I want to say he did face some pretty reputable head coaches, defensive coordinators, teams at the time, you know, in that 2022 NFL season, which realistically made him, you know, kind of have not those subpar games because Jalen Hurts is 19-1 and in his last 20 starts. And y'all heard me when I first started the show. You guys know how much I love Jalen Hurts. 19 and 1 in your last 20 starts is nothing that you can you can scoff at. So I'm proud of the Eagles for this win. Of course, I want to see more out of Jalen Hurts. It wasn't an ugly interception that he threw, but they wanted the point of attack. They 
ran the football well. They established that foundation. And mostly, uh, most of the throws were, you know, out routes to the left, maybe about five to nine yards, roughly one deep shot that was completed to Devontae Smith. And then a couple of throws outside the numbers on the right as well. So it wasn't a whole lot of dynamic stuff. Or and, and even the you have to get fancy, right? Like, it was funny. They literally said talk show hosts and, you know, sports stations tomorrow are probably not going to be a big fan of this because it was basic, just ground and pound, run the rock football. And that's how they were able to do it. Now, flipping over to the Vikings here in this game, Kirk Cousins can't do it all, man. It feels like the Vikings, again, waste a Kirk Cousins game that was on national television, and we know Kirk Cousins is not the guy to play, not even well in primetime, but we know his record in primetime games is not great. I think he's won one recent primetime game. And all the other times, he can possibly ball out, he can possibly play, but what is the defense really doing for him, and really, is he even performing in a big spot in that primetime game? Kirk Cousins, I mean, you look at the numbers, he's 31 for 44, he had four touchdowns, just want to make sure I have it right, yeah, 70.5% uh, completion, 364 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Of course, he did have some fumbles and a 125.6 passer rating. So you look at those numbers, you're like, damn, Kirk did his job. And Kirk really did play good for the most part. Yes, he did have some, you know, numbers kind of in garbage time. And, and to me, I don't know if there were or if there was really any garbage time in this game because... um you know, like it, it, it was kind of getting put away by Philadelphia, but I always felt like Minnesota was in the mix. You know, I, I definitely think Minnesota had every possible chance in this game, especially without four fumbles to really make something happen. But, you know, you want to take a look at Brian Flores's defensive impact as well um, and how he's overall coached with this team. I knew that when he got hired a few months back that it was a major hire, legendary hiring, very game changing here because they needed this. We've seen this Vikings defense go from three, four seasons ago when you had a really nice Eric Kendricks and Harrison Smith was still a top safety in the league. And I, and I still think Harrison Smith is a top safety in the league, but you have a Patrick Peterson, you know, Daniil Hunter, all of those guys. And of course we know still about Daniil Hunter, all of those guys were in, you know, intact. They had a couple of other names on the defensive line. I mean, the Vikings defense at one point, not too far in a distant memory, was one of the best in the NFL, had a lot of superstars on it, and it finally felt like at one point, at least from my perspective, that the Vikings offense was catching up to where their defense was, you know, what it was able to play. Justin Jefferson comes in. It's great. You know, Dalvin's obviously been there. Jordan Addison comes in as well, and it feels like the defense is just kind of ticking off, you know, just slowly kind of level by level. And this is why they make the Brian Flores hire, because not only in the NFL is it a very offensive league, but you also, you just have to be able to play defense. And yes, the middle of the pack defense can win it for you. But if you can get a guy like Brian Flores, who should have never lost his head coaching job, who has done very well in his coaching tenures in the league, and, and we've seen what he's capable of, especially on a defensive side of the uh, defensive minded guy in a defensive minded guy, excuse me, and on the defensive side of the football. For them to give up 34 points, I like how they only give up 20 points last week, obviously. There's no real gripe about that. Yes, you shouldn't have lost to the Bucs at home. I wanted to talk about that game on the show, but damn it, we went over nine NFL games last week and two college games. 
I rock with everybody that's been supporting me on social media. We dropped six clips on YouTube today, and we're live right now. Plethora of content out there for you guys. But to Brian Flores, you want, and it's week two, but you want to think that that impact is going to happen sooner rather than later. And I understand they've got some corrections to make, right? We saw that that Vikings, excuse me, they've got some corrections to make. And we've seen that this Viking defense over the years has needed a guy like Brian Flores, has needed an impact of Brian Flores to have that toolage with these players because I don't think this is a defense that like is really too far gone. You know, like you you have some superstars, some good players still active on that defense. You make some certain moves. It sucks to lose Eric Kendricks. You still wish Patrick Peterson was there. Of course, I believe you wanted more out of Cameron Dantzler. But at the end of the day, this is what you've got. It's good to have coaching with less talent than rather have more talent with coaching because we've seen teams in the past that have been loaded with talent. We've seen the Cleveland Browns as of recent memory. Freddie Kitchens out of there after one year. Kevin Stefanski first year, they're flirting with the AFC title game. Now, yes, they're playing a backup quarterback that's not Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but hey, it was damn near about to line up for the Browns, wasn't it? So we know that coaching really matters. I know it's week two. I believe Brian Flores can still get this defense turned around. They just came off again, a 20-point outing against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But you're going to want this defense to click quicker. You're going to want his effect to be felt faster. And I totally believe he can do that. The Vikings are probably going to be a top 12 to 15 unit this year overall, if not better, because that's what Brian Flores is capable of. But a a storyline that is also coming out of this game because we heard it last year with the Minnesota Vikings is they were 11-0 and last year in one-score games. The Vikings are now 0-2 on the season and are 0-2 in one-score games. But let's not remember the Vikings record, or excuse me, let's not forget that the Vikings won a lot of football games last year. 13 if I'm, if, if I'm, if I'm thinking correctly. Let me make sure. Good Lord, talk about butchering that. Come on now, give it to me. I just want to be accurate. Yeah, 13 and four. I I knew it wasn't 14 and three, but like a small part of me was telling me that it might have been 14 and three. 11 of their 13 wins last year were one score or less, and they were undefeated in those games. But the Vikings had always been a team to where they were not winning these one score games. They were letting them slip through. Kirk Cousins was possibly not being clutch. The defense was letting up, possibly bad coaching. Like that's why. That's why Mike Zimmer got out of there. Kevin O'Connell comes in first season, 13 wins. And he's coaching this team to win these one-score games. But this is what we talked about some in the offseason with the Minnesota Vikings. This was some people's possible concern. The reserve with them, and and me a little bit as well, I didn't think they were going to be another 13-win team. You have to win in the clutch moments. It's what defines teams. It's what defines players. Brady clearly, Mahomes, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, you know, Philip Rivers, if you need it, like, and and Kirk can be clutch at times, but the entire team as a whole, it's a win or a loss for them. Were you clicking on defense? Were you clicking on offense? Were you clicking on special teams? Were you clicking with play calling, coaching, schemes, all that? That's what helps you win one score games. And that's what I don't know if the Vikings are capable of again this season, because we've seen it in years past. They have a great offense. I love Jordan Addison. 
think he's going to be great this year. I think him and Justin Jefferson could combine for probably over 3,000 yards receiving this year. Seriously, that's how good I think Jordan Addison is. He was my best receiver coming into the draft. We know what Jettas is. We're going to get into his fumble right after this about that possible rule over change that everyone's freaking out about. But I believe the Vikings can be a very, very top offense and overall a good team in this league. But if they're going to continue to get into these nail biters that take the heart away from the fans, they're going to have to win these one-score games. And we see Justin Jefferson fumble out of the end zone in this game as well. Maybe the Vikings fans are griping about that. They hate to see it. He's reaching for the pylon, fumbles out of the back of the end zone, and it's a touchback. Eagles ball. And so now everybody is up in arms, and everybody's sitting here asking, should this rule be changed? Should they change this rule to where if it goes out, it's not defensive ball? Well, let's just take a look at the game of the NFL and realize that it is offensively driven. Pass interference is very easy for a veteran to be able to shrug off or even a rookie that's smart enough. Wide receiver, it's easier for them to make moves to have the defensive pass interference called than it is vice versa. We see all of the rules that are slated towards the offense to protect the quarterback to where where now you can't lead with your helmet. Of course, that's targeting and a health issue, but it's to protect the people that have the ball in their hands. And of course, you could have led with your helmet on a block as well. But the NFL is such an offensive league, very, very offensive league. And on the 100 yards that are in between the home and the away end zone, if you fumble it, Even if a defensive player comes up and punches it out of your grip, it's still offensive ball. I think that should be tweaked to where if the defense touches the ball and then it goes out of bounds, they were the last one to get their hands on it. It's not basketball to where, oh, you touch it and go out, so it's the other team's ball where the ball kind of goes out very often and is loose because the, the ball is secured in the NFL. Whenever that goes out of bounds, that's offensive ball. I think if the defense touches it, It should be defensive ball. I think even if they force the hit, if it is a hit, you go back and look at the replay. Oh, yeah, clearly that contact from that defensive player forced that fumble. If the ball then goes out of bounds and is not touched by anybody, you can argue that should be a defensive player's football. And probably defensive players would tell you that, right? I was looking at some comments on Instagram about this that I thought were just kind of right up my alley on how, you know, the... um, how the rule kind of plays out. Some people say, no, it's a good rule. Fumble that close to the end zone and you deserve to get penalized. That I agree with because the sweet spot is the end zone. The end zone is the end-all be-all. You get the most points by an offensive player crossing into the end zone. If you're going to be that risky and reach for the pylon, first of all, the ball is exposed, so there's no ball security. You're already risking it being popped out there. If you let go of it, yes, you should be penalized because now you're in the sweet spot. You're in the sweet zone. Because let's be real, if it goes out at the one, if someone comes up behind you, punches the ball out, and it rolls forward to the one, that's gained yards for the offense. That's a first down. But we want the rule changed for offensive players because they can't hold on to the football when they're stretching for the pylon. These comments are pretty good. Uh, One person said, I swear, bro, any NFL rule that works for the Eagles, they want to change it. Someone said, no, what would be the alternative? If If you can't hold on to the football in that part of the field, you deserve to lose possession. No, you cannot reward poor ball security in the end zone. That I agree with. 
it's such a simple rule that's only getting talked about because it's happening to Justin Jefferson. He fumbled in the end zone. It's a touchback, clearly. No, don't change it. This is one of the only rules that benefits the offense. If you're close to the end zone, you've got to hang on to the ball. When you reach for the pylon, there's got to be some risk involved. I agree with that. I agree with all of that. That was my, I literally just hearted all those comments as I was going down on Instagram because I'm like, are, like, this is really gaining traction. Don't change the rule. This is one of the few rules that benefits the defense, even if it's the defensive player, even if it's not the defensive player forcing the touchback. Um, or excuse me, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Well, the way I'm thinking about it is like if they fumble and even if it's not a defensive player that's, you know, knocking it out for the touchback, I guess you could argue in that aspect that the, you know, the, um, what's it called? I guess you could argue in that aspect that the offense could keep the ball. But realistically, again, if you're going to reach for the pylon in the end zone, there's got to be some risk. There's a hundred yards of green grass with labeled numbers and hash marks for every single yard that is in between the sacred zone of the end zone, the barrier you must cross to score the most points in this sport. If you fumble anywhere in between that, no matter how it happens, if it goes out of bounds, offense is ball. And we kind of heard about that too. If I really had to get specific with it, you take, if, if, if it's clear that defensive contact makes the ball go out of bounds in that hundred yards between the end zone, you could claim defensive ball. If maybe the person just loses possession and it goes out, then Chad Ochocinco actually said on nightcap with Shannon Sharp, you place it back at the 25. That might be fair as well, but I got to stick with the whole, it's one of the only rules driven towards the defense. If you're going to rick reach for the pylon, there has to be some risk involved. So y'all get in the chat, get in the comments, let me know what you think about the Eagles beating the Vikings 34-28 to on Thursday night football. Should the NFL change the fumbling in the end zone rule, which equals a touchback? Sorry, Darby. I don't know why you didn't get a notification that I went live. I did go a little live later tonight. I wasn't sure if the uh, the chat was working, so thanks for getting in there and uh, chatting with me. But yeah, you see, you agree about, about the rule as well. So Aaron Rodgers said he's not retiring. Surgery goes well for him. He actually appeared on the Pat McAfee show today for about 30 minutes, and I was very, very happy to see that. Because now we're starting to, you know, kind of starting to get a look of a New York Jets outlook post Aaron Rodgers Achilles injury. And again, sent the prayers up for A-Rod. We all did. A-Rod said today on the Pat McAfee show, he probably cried more about the support that he received than he actually did from the Achilles injury. And we all hated this for Aaron Rodgers, right? Nobody wanted this to happen whatsoever. This was horrible for A-Rod. We did not want to see him play four snaps after all of the hard knock stuff with the New York Jets and the restructure contract and him cussing people out in hard knocks and, and really just feeling like Aaron Rodgers was going to possibly win the Super Bowl this year. None of us wanted to see it happen like that. He comes out today. He's a, you watch. You guys watch what I do. Watch what I do. I didn't get the complete details, but apparently this man hinted at a comeback, possibly this season. And let's just be real for a second. We know Aaron Rodgers is very... Very different. He likes to try things that other people haven't tried. Literally the ayahuasca with the darkness retreat. And the way that modern medicine has now developed and really come around. I mean, as quick as Drew Brees came back from the thumb injury, which was, I think, two to four, two to three weeks quicker than it should have been. We're talking about an Achilles here that did completely rupture, had to have surgery. 
So not really being able to stand he's on crutches versus Breeze just had the you know thumb wrapped up. Who knows what could happen with Aaron Rodgers? Pat McAfee's talking to him today. He's like fifth MVP, Super Bowl MVP, like Super Bowl champion. Aaron Rodgers isn't retiring. Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. And I love that because like I said, when I was on the show Tuesday, episode 39, the NFL was going to be a blast this year with Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback for the New York Jets. An absolute blast. And unfortunately, he goes down like that. So let's get into a New York Jets outlook post Aaron Rodgers injury. Going to have a little bit of fun here as we talk about the quarterback replacements for Aaron Rodgers. They've made it very clear that Zach Wilson is going to be QB2. He's going to He's already mentioned about the, the the big bro mentality that he looks at, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, about how Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers really mentored him. A-Rod said today on the Pat McAfee show that he's very confident in Zach, and more than anything, Zach is confident in himself. So you got to love to see that. I mean, he, he played as well as he really could have against the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football and won in the middle of a very highly emotional game. The Saints have apparently had rumors of Jameis Winston possibly getting traded to the New York Jets, which, hey, if y'all want him, come get him. I got respect for Jameis, but he's clearly not it. We only got to see him with a 5-2 and two record with Sean Payton before he tears the ACL, unfortunately, against his former team. We got Derek Carr. Uh, of course, Jake Hayner is suspended. But even, you know, with Taysom Hill, like, I think we're good at the QB position. And realistically, even if the Jets were to look in on Jameis Winston, I really think you're better off with Zach Wilson because you know what Jameis is. Yes, he's big-armed. Yes, he's bigger-bodied. But he is older. Um, he's got a track record of not performing big. Now, yes, Zach Wilson does have some of that track record as well. But are you really getting an upgrade if you go for Jameis Winston? Decision-making? Probably not. Arm strength? Maybe comparable. Accuracy? Maybe a slight nod to Jameis Winston? Um, do we even know if either of them are true leaders? Like, we've heard, yes, of course, with the Saints, Jameis stepped up into that occasion. But that was a different environment with a very much well better ran franchise than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If he went to the Jets, is he really still getting in that good culture that kind of turned him around in a way? I'm not praising Jameis at all, but the Saints fans have seen what they've seen with him, and the Bucs fans know what Jameis is as well. Colin Kaepernick's agent apparently reached out to the New York Jets, let the New York Jets know that he was available, and I respected the hell out of this move. I still hope that Colin Kaepernick can get another shot in the NFL. I understand him kneeling. His whole political thing was you know, big for a lot of people and 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 really kind of started a movement, right? It, it made big headlines, big, big headlines. But to know that Cap is still trying to work out in some instances, obviously he's had these kind of weird, interesting, egregious NFL workouts where he was holding them in himself and then he didn't have a workout at time. And just his overall structure of them is is, is kind of interesting as we do see the, the slight trickling of news over the months and, you know, past few years, the very slight bit of news that we've heard about Colin Kaepernick. But, you know, from what I remember from him, I mean, he was kind of Deshaun Watson-esque. I'm not saying he's Deshaun Watson, but big guy, big arm, could run, could throw on the move, would run you over. Um I mean, you know, hell of an athlete, but we haven't seen Kaepernick in a very, very long time. So we don't know what that could come down to. We've had the talks with Tom Brady possibly coming back. And the the biggest X factor is Nathaniel Hackett's system. This is a Nathaniel Hackett coordinated offense with a defensive-minded head coach in Robert Sala. Would Tom Brady really be able to fit into that type of scheme? We're not really sure. Is that a risk they want to take? Tom Brady's already retired. He said he was done. 
This was just a stretch, of course. It would be crazy to see if Tom Brady came back out of retirement to play for the New York Jets, but would it really be able to mesh? I I, I really don't think so. Just again, we're kind of having fun here, fun here doing some entertaining. Some people have said Matt Ryan as well, which maybe would be the more formidable option, but that guy's in the booth. He got mishandled horribly in Indianapolis. He probably doesn't even want to play football anymore because of how the way the damn Indianapolis Colts handled him. So sad. Nobody deserved that. Horribly mishandled. Should have just stayed with the Falcons. I I hated that the Falcons gave him up for it to play out like that, but I'd been saying that the Vikings or the Colts needed to sign Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan's a baller. He can win you football games. He was a top 10 to 12 quarterback in this league when he was playing in for most of his time. Let's not forget that he was an MVP, but he is in the booth, and I just think he's removed from his best days of football considering the expectations that the New York Jets have. And then some people have talked about Carson Wentz. Not even going to entertain that. Carson Wentz will really just need to stay healthy for a full season. Um, We've heard the speculations that I don't really like, and Aaron Rodgers kind of disproved it today with the Pat McAfee show, but about how he was, you know, having to move around already. He was already having to run from behind that offensive line. You really want that for Carson Wentz, possibly? You really want that for Matt Ryan, possibly? For possibly Jameis Winston? No quarterback is the same when they don't have protection on the offensive line. But let's get into something a little more realistic with the New York Jets here and talk about their actual record prediction and kind of just the outlook on the season. And and we'll get into a reason of why they should be optimistic really for the rest of this NFL year because they've got a lot of pieces, but it will just show you how damn valuable that quarterback position is. So I had the Jets this year with Aaron Rodgers being the full-time starter, going 11-6, and winning their division, and coming in fourth in the AFC in the playoffs. They were going to go to the wild card, lose to the Kansas City Chiefs, and ultimately that's how I saw the New York Jets season playing out. Maybe they could have went further. They had the talent to go to the AFC title game, to the Super Bowl, and even win the Super Bowl. But when I look at this Jets schedule, again, they grind it out on Monday night, 22-16 to at home against the Bills. Very swing of emotions type of game. Jets-Cowboys, I think that's a loss. I really do. I know it's two very elite uh, defenses here. Two pretty loaded offenses, but I'm going to take Dak over Zach Wilson. Patriots-Jets, this is one that the Jets could possibly win. Um, But it's Bill Belichick. You know what I mean? It's not going to be so much of an offensive worry. The Jets defense will have an unlock, but I think Bill just over Zach Wilson. So that's a possible loss there. Chiefs, Jets, that's a loss. Jets, Broncos, to me, that's a loss. That's one that they could win, but more than likely a loss. Eagles, Jets, that's a loss. Jets, Giants, I'd probably give them this one for the sole fact that the Giants just got blown out 40 to nothing. Um, this is going to be on October 29th. So, it, you know, we still got some time before this game. Possible win there. Chargers, Jets, that's another possible win. But more than likely a loss because the Chargers offense will just, I mean, Justin Herbert over Zach Wilson, both both offenses are very loaded. Jets defense could really stifle Brandon Staley. And I mean, who is it? Sala, Brandon Staley. Like you could kind of have a stalemate there when you start getting down to matchups realistically and what the Jets defense could do to stifle the Chargers offense. Jets Raiders, I mean, is it was it more of the Raiders being good or the Broncos not not, not being prepared? I'm not really sure. That's a possible win. Jets, Bills, Bills are gonna win that. Dolphins, Jets, Dolphins. Falcons, Jets, going to take the Falcons. Texans, Jets, I'd probably take the Jets there realistically. Jets, Dolphins, I'm going to take the Dolphins again, even though the Jets could win divisional game. They're going to be at home for one of those. Commanders, Jets, that's a toss-up. You got Jets, Browns, which I think is a loss, and then Jets, Patriots. Patriots at home, 
I think they'll probably split those. So when I look at this record prediction without Zach Wilson, I don't see a football team winning any more than eight games here. I don't. And when I had my AFC predictions put out for the show right before the season started, the Jets only made the playoffs with 11 wins because they won the division. The Bills, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Bills and the Bengals, I want to say, had 12 wins in my AFC predictions, and they weren't making the playoffs because of other teams above them that either had better conference records or better division records. Records. 12 wins wasn't even possibly getting you into the AFC postseason. So there's no way, there's absolutely no way that it's going to get you in if you have eight wins, even if you had nine wins. The Dolphins are winning more than nine games this year. I'd like to think the Bills are winning more than nine games this year. So there's your fourth seed clinched right there. And then again, we talked about the five, six, and seven, how we had the 13-win teams fizzling out, excuse me, 12-win teams fizzling out from that. So they're probably going to finish third or fourth in the division. I do have the Pats winning five games this year. That was in my AFC predictions as well. No postseason. But here is why the New York Jets should be optimistic. They were 5-2 and two with Zach Wilson last year before Brees Hall got injured. Brees Hall clearly looked good in the game. They still have Dalvin Cook. So really, they you can argue they have the best backfield in the league right now. One of the best backfields. It's elite, no doubt about it. The defense is smash mouth as hell. They just did what they did to the Buffalo Bills. We saw them last year. We saw the claims they were making about maybe the 85-86 Bears or, you know, um, was it the 2 Bucks? Was it the Ravens? I, I can't remember. But we heard them comparing themselves to those historic defenses. I'm not saying they're going to be historic, but if the Jets came out with the uh, – they were number one in defensive yards and defensive points per games at the end of the year, points per game at the end of the year, I'm not surprised. So you have an elite defense. You have an elite backfield. You have a speedster that you brought in, Miko Hardman, which I feel differently about Miko. But if you use him the right way, he could be like a Jalen Waddle light, maybe like a Hollywood Brown, just strictly off speed, get him out in some wide crosses, some crossers, some go routes, just some openings in the field. Garrett Wilson, clearly. If Zach Wilson can really maybe just be Daniel Jones, if he's capable of that, again, five and two last year with Zach Wilson before Brees Hall got hurt. That offensive line is going to be questionable, questionable, but in other aspects, they have a reason to be optimistic. Now, the quarterback position is what's always, again, we were really going to see here how valuable that quarterback position was. That is the thing now to where the Jets are kind of scratching their head. And that's why I have them winning no more than eight, maybe nine games this year because we've seen Zach Wilson throw 50-50 balls. We've seen him have very bad decision-making and very poor judgment on the field. I never agreed with him being a number two overall pick. But all I can hope is that he can perform to the likes of a game manager, maybe a little bit of a San Francisco 49ers vibe here. You do have the defensive-minded head coach. The O-line isn't as stout, but you could run the football like hell possibly. Your defense is elite. Your receivers are pretty on point. Just have Zach Wilson drop back 17 to 18 times a game. Get you at least 65% completion. Try not to make any mistakes. Hold on to the football. Don't throw an interception. I think the Jets this year have the reason to be optimistic because they will be playing in the light of Aaron Rodgers' injury. And we've seen emotion. We've seen grit. We've seen fire with football teams the New Orleans Saints after Katrina. We've seen it time and time and time again. We just saw it in the Monday night football game. 
their emotion, and their grit to grind it out under Robert Sala. The Jets are going to be a sneaky, not competitive, but a team that pisses you off when your team plays them because there's a chance you might not want to see them at any point in the year because of how motivated they are. Like, they're fired up. Their quarterback, done for the year. At one point, they were wearing shirts about Mike White over Zach Wilson, who was my, uh, Zach's backup. Now they have to rally around him, and I think they will. But I don't trust Zach Wilson to obviously take it as far as Aaron Rodgers was going to. I want to pivot over to college football here and actually talk about my favorite, top, excuse me, my top five favorite college quarterbacks right now. Let's get into it. Might be a little cliche, but Caleb Williams is number one. The guy is absolutely sensational. He is phenomenal. Clearly the number one overall pick. His guy can make any throw, super agile, massive arm, any off-platform, off-balance, off-script play or throw he has to make is damn near unmatched for what we've seen at the college level thus far. His improvisation is ridiculous. It's almost like he can move like Kyler, finesse like Mahomes in the pocket, a little bit of Lamar Jackson. I mean, it's nuts. Big dude, great runner. I mean, we look at his stature here. 6'1", 215 pounds, so he's really that prime quarterback size that you want to see. My only thing with him is I do feel like he moves around a little too much in the pocket, like kind of sometimes working himself into pressure or doing the really badly, you know, scrambling around in the backfield, going way 15, 16 yards back, backpedaling. And we've seen that out of Mahomes, too. We've seen that out of the run-and-gun era in aspect of the NFL because realistically, that's just what the league is getting to. And we know coaches don't necessarily like that, but some of that does come with being very off script and and more than anything, just playing in a, um, not in a system that wants you to go off script, but a system that allows you to be off script. And when you have the talent to do such, that's just going to be kind of a part of your arsenal. But he does know when to break the pocket. He does know when to hang in. The accuracy is on point. I mean, he's very, very dangerous with the legs as well. Can move very well in open space. The way his body just contorts in general when he actually goes to make a throw. Um, I mean, you even look at his highlights. They slow it down for you so you can realistically tell how he's contorting himself when he's making these throws. And we've heard the comps to Mahomes. It's so fair. I'm not even wanting to be the one to jump on the hype train and just say Caleb Williams is the number one because he looks like Mahomes. When you go and watch him, there's a reason people say that. Very Mahomes-esque, very poised, plays very big, very calm in the pocket. We saw the Heisman season. He could damn well win it again. Now, he does have a lot of competition this year with a guy named Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter. Bo Nix could possibly be in that conversation. We don't know. But Caleb Williams is undoubtedly the unanimous number one overall pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. and realistically. It's going to be so fun to watch him play. I feel like he's going to be pretty solid off the rip. Don't know. Like, of course, he'll have an adjustment period to the NFL, but if, damn, it doesn't feel like he's already playing in the league with what he's showing us in college. Number two for me, Shadur Sanders. Do you believe we coming, we here, is personal, and Coach Prime is my daddy? (laughs) Shadur Sanders, and absolutely... Phenomenal quarterback through two games, the most yards 
in the Pac-12 through the first two games in, or not not the most yards, but uh, some of the most yards, I believe, or he might have had the most. I feel like it might have been fourth. I don't specifically remember that stat, but we know he's already setting records. He set the school record at Colorado. And really with Shadur Sanders, man, I, I feel like I'm looking at Jalen Hurts. The arm pocket, or excuse me, the arm talent, the pocket awareness, the leadership, the ability to read the field, the finesse, the overall just understanding of the game. Like, he's kind of built like him too. Shador, I feel like Shador is already playing at an elite level, but we've got to let him adjust to this big stage. Clearly, before we start to anoint him, like we did in the past with the Trevor Lawrence, like we did so early with Justin Herbert, like some people did already in college with Joe Burrow, because I don't believe Shador is to that level yet. Like, clearly he's not a Caleb. Um, I do think you can argue he is the second most talented quarterback in this draft class. Maybe I'm buying a little too much into the hype. Maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, but I've looked at a Bo Nix's tape. You get, okay. I probably would take Bo Nix's talent over Shador slightly because he's played at Auburn, because he's played at Oregon. So he's just naturally got more CFB exposure. But Shador is undeniable. I mean, the first game, he's a legit NFL prospect. You've got NFL GMs. You have people that have been in this business for a while, understanding the talent as soon as it comes off the rip. And you love to see him get pressured, take the eight sacks. Nebraska's defense have 11 tackles for loss, stifling that offense. And Shador Sanders with Dion and Travis Hunter and Dylan Edwards and Xavier Weaver went out there and did their damn thing. Shador Sanders, my second favorite college quarterback, second favorite college quarterback right now. Number three is going to be Bo Nix. Bo Nix is looking fantastic at Oregon right now. And I'll be honest with you. And by the way, when I do comps, I, I don't try to immediately compare them to a legend. But when I think of the standard of a quarterback, I'm going to put them in the perspective of a superstar's performance so we can kind of understand on a general level, what they bring to the table. With Bo Nix, I, I kind of see Russell Wilson. I really do. Finesse in the pocket, moves very well outside of the pocket. We've seen the amount of scrambles that he can actually have the impact on in the game. Dude was a gamer, an absolute baller at Auburn. In his freshman year, I remember it, the game against Georgia 2019. Dude is scrambling. Scrambling on a fourth down, if I'm not mistaken, and he actually got it. Makes the transition over to Oregon and takes the leap. I mean, really takes the leap. Great numbers last year. You look at Bo Nix, 6'2", 217 pounds, 3,593 yards, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions last year. As soon as he leaves Auburn, he ups his passing by 1,200 yards. This year, he's on pace for just shy of 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, no interceptions. The no interceptions is probably not going to happen, right? But he's got five touchdowns, no picks thus far. Bo Nix really, I feel like, has control of the game already. Playing in Auburn, having that experience. I mean, it means a lot in college to have that natural experience in front of you playing in the SEC. We know the SEC is the toughest conference in college football. The SEC breeds NFL players on the regular. It is a purebred house for NFL players when we talk about the SEC. And Bo Nix got to witness that. You go look at Bo Nix's splits here, 2019, 20, and 21. He was at Auburn, and he threw about 1,000 passes there, a little more. 58% completion, 59% completion, 
71, 61% completion first year in Oregon, 72% completion this year. He is at a 78% completion rate, 73 touchdowns, 23 interceptions in his career, 313 yards. I mean, he's got 1,425 yards in his career in college for rushing. 32 touchdowns last year, 510 yards, 14 touchdowns with Oregon. Bo Nix is a baller, dude. I firmly believe that Bo Nix is first-round quarterback talent, without question. Of course, there's flaws in these guys' games, but the, the, the five guys that I have on here really play some damn good football. I'm not going to say near perfect. They're clearly still in college for a reason. They're clearly going to get recruited and looked at scouts looked by looked at by scouts for a reason. But Bo Nix comps to Russell Wilson for me all day. Big arm, nice control of the offense, reads the field well, can move, is very agile, great touch on the ball. I mean, I mean, you can argue he might be the second best throw of the football in this college draft as well. Just snaps off his wrist. Love the accuracy that he was showing us in Oregon last year. Love the rushing ability he was showing us. And clearly that's why he transferred. He saw something that he could take advantage of and he went for it. And I love what it's doing for Bo Nix. That's why he's my number three college football quarterback right now. Number four, the left-handed Big Ben, Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, I said it. Michael Penix Jr. is the left-handed Ben Roethlisberger. Built like him, kind of sluggish in the pocket like him. But damn, if he can't step up and roll out a little bit if he needs to and dot that thing, man. And he's a lefty. I've always got love for left-handed quarterbacks. Love Tua for that reason. Plus, just Tua's a baller. Love Michael Penix for this reason. And clearly, he's a baller as well. College football's passing leader last year with just under 4,700 yards, if I'm not mistaken. And Michael Penix stands at a huge 6'3", 213 pounds. We look at his stats as he came into this year. Last year with Washington. If they'll pull up here for me, 4,641 yards, 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions. So a 41 touchdown to interception ratio, not the biggest runner of the football, which is why I say he feels like a big Ben comp here. Very big body, huge hangs in the pocket. Well, like I said, little sluggish, not the quickest out of the gate, massive arm, though, massive build. And, and he can make plays. He can throw the deep ball. He can throw strikes over the middle. He can make throws to any point strongly on the football field. And when you look at just a large quarterback coming in that you realistically would like to get some use out of, like it kind of felt like Anthony Richardson in a way without the legs, huge build, big arm, huge will to learn. And Michael Penix is balling out at Washington. We see what he did last year. Again, being just under 4,700 yards as, as the leading passer in the nation with Washington's college football team. And, I'm excited to see what he turns out to be as well. There's some other quarterbacks out there, like, you know, maybe a Riley Leonard that you would have looked at. I, I, I wasn't super impressed. I like what Riley Leonard shows, but I'm not as impressed as Michael Penix. And I think Michael Penix has used his, used his size to a big advantage. He's going to be your guy, again, hangs in the pocket, sees the field well, is going to be able to shrug off some hicks with that 6'3", 215-pound frame. I mean, he's, he literally feels like a left-handed Big Ben Roethlisberger. And my fifth favorite college quarterback right now, maybe I can move him up because he's talented as hell. I'm going to take Jordan Travis, who probably should be higher on this list, out of FSU. Jordan Travis standing at six foot one, 212 pounds. So, you know, not the biggest build either, 
But Jordan Travis is a hell of an athlete. This guy really reminds me of Justin Fields outside of the pocket and as a runner, but Bryce Young in the pocket. Really, he does. Bryce Young has the finesse. We just saw him being the first overall pick in the draft to hang in the pocket, to really be calm, to understand the defenses that are coming his way, to have the command of the offense and really just be a a damn sniper from the pocket. And, And that's what Jordan Travis is really capable of. You go and look at his stats for last year. 3,214 yards, 24 touchdowns, five picks this year, six touchdowns, one interception. We see him in the major game against LSU. And and Justin, or excuse me, and Jordan Travis, who again reminds me of Justin Fields outside of the pocket, he's agile as hell. He will make guys miss. He will go on cuts. He will make defenders in college and in the NFL when he goes look very silly. He's got that capability as an athlete. And, and I love to see that because it's I feel like he's floating really kind of like at that perfect size, like Justin Fields is. Like he's got a build to him so he can hang in the pocket. He can see over his line. He's he's large enough for a quarterback, kind of like CJ Stroud as well, but then also is just slim enough to be able to move outside of the pocket and really be effective with it. That's why Cam Newton was so special. That's why Josh Allen is so special. That is why jo- um oh, Lord. Anthony Richardson can possibly be so special when you have size like that. And then you're also able to move behind it. Now, of course, he's not as big as those guys. Obviously you get bigger and are still able to move at that, you know, level like that's, that's legendary. It's, it's scary. Cam Newton still leads all quarterbacks in the NFL history with the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback, which is why some possibly regard him as the greatest dual threat of all time. Still Michael Vick for me, but that's a conversation for another day. Love what Jordan Travis brings to the table here. You can argue that all five of these quarterbacks right here are first-round picks. Notice how I didn't have Drake May on there. I'm I'm not a Drake May guy right now. I'm not buying into him right now. I like what these five guys are showing me talent-wise and really the trajectory of how they've gotten better over their career. Not saying that Drake May hasn't, but Drake May isn't as dynamic as these guys to me. Number one, Caleb Williams. Number two, Shadur Sanders. Number three, Bo Nix. Number four, Michael Penix Jr. Number five, Jordan Travis on my five favorite college quarterbacks right now as CFB week three approaches. And just before we get into the break, I want to talk about some impactful week one injuries for the NFL season. It's tough for the Baltimore Ravens already. They are ruling out four starters in their game this weekend against the Bengals. Marcus Williams is missing with a peck. J.K. Dobbins obviously tore his Achilles and is out for the season. Ronnie Staley, an offensive tack, uh, excuse me, offensive tackle. His knee is hurt. He did not return. And Tyler Linderbaum, the center, is also going to be out as well. Very, very tough for the Ravens. You talk about four key pieces. J.K. Dobbins, superstar running back when he's healthy. Marcus Williams, top five safety in the league when he's healthy. Ronnie Staley and Tyler Linderbaum, really key components of that offensive line. This is going to be tough for them. Like, I wanted to take the Ravens in this game until I looked at the injury report and realized, damn, they are bitten by the injury bug already walking into week two of the NFL season. I think this is going to majorly impact them. We're not really sure when they're going to get any of these guys back. We know J.K. Dobbins is out for the year, but a peck for Marcus Williams. Offensive lineman with a knee. Tyler Linderbaum, obviously, he gets his MRI. It's looking tough. It's looking tough for the Baltimore Ravens. I think J.C. Horn also... Being, um, excuse me, or no, actually, he was already uh, he was already ruled out. But I, I think J.C. Horn is not going to play against the Saints as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's big. We know the Saints with uh, Rashid Shahid, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Kamara's not back yet. Um, 
you know, we, we, we saw them opening up that offense, thankfully, that I've been talking about in the Panthers not having J.C. Horn for this Saints offense that could go off on Monday Night Football will be very major. The Cleveland Browns horribly lose Jack Conklin out for the season on MRA, excuse me, on MRI. They don't even give Dewan Jones a starting job. They go out and get another veteran offensive lineman. And Dewan Jones stepped in and played great. I mean, I don't I don't really understand what the thing is about Dewan Jones right now. But for him to not get that Cleveland starting job, he's he's clearly showing some things to them that they're not buying. And I hate that for him because I had Dewan Jones as, you know, a top player in this draft. He was a he was on my board as a first round pick. But yes, the Cleveland Browns losing Jack Conklin having to protect Deshaun Watson, knowing that the run game is established off the line. Nick Chubb being an elite running back, not something that you want to see. Uh, want, want, want to see a team like the Cleveland Browns with high hopes, a team that I'm really believing in this year, get affected by. Greg Dolchich, obviously, for the Denver Broncos, he, uh, he, he, he gets hurt as well. We know all quarterbacks are different animals when they have a tight end. Now, Adam Troutman is trying to find that role like he did in, in New Orleans with Sean Payton on another team, now with a better quarterback in Russell Wilson. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. You hope Aaron Jones is going to be okay. It looks like he's going to play this coming week in week two. Uh, Christian Watson more than likely not going to play for the Packers in week two as well. Again, these are kind of like week one, middle of week one, like week two injuries. Um, just some notable player news here that I, I know is definitely going to move some lines and and affect some things here for teams. Um, obviously, Brandon Scherf with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it's not something that you necessarily want to see as he's a guard dealing with that ankle injury there. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence is clearly going to have to get that foundation set for him. Again, we know that the NFL starts and stops in the trenches. Jacoby Myers had a big day with Jimmy G, had a couple of those touchdown catches, and ultimately had a, a, a really good day, honestly, with Jimmy G over in the Raiders. Surprised me. Surprised me big time. I expected the Broncos to be better. So you're, again, kind of wondering, was it the Raiders being good and proving me wrong? Or was it just the Broncos necessarily, uh, you know, being being that bad? Garrett Bradbury, center for the Vikings. You don't like to see that either. You definitely want to see him get back healthier. Nicobe Dean, he was banged up a little bit. We hear about Peyton Turner with the Saints as well. Peyton Turner not really worried about. Um, just because he's he, he's a bust. I mean, let's just be honest. N'Kobe Dean, though, with the Eagles, he provides a lot of value. N'Kobe Dean <clears throat> is a player that they're definitely going to want to have back. We know that the Steelers lost to Marvin Leal, uh, Pat Fryermuth as well, Cam Hayward, Deontay Johnson. Those are all major. It's going to be interesting to see their statuses going into week two. Some very notable injuries there, again, with Fryermuth being that tight end, safety blanket for Kenny Pickett. Cam Hayward, great defensive tackle next to TJ Watt. Deontay Johnson always gets that respect as the wide receiver, too. People love talking about him over in the AFC. And anytime a defensive end, um, you know, alongside a defensive tackle and Cam Hayward, but speaking of DeMarvin Leal, that's that's going to be an effect for you as well. The team that might have really been most affected this weekend next to the Baltimore Ravens. You got Abraham Lucas, offensive tackle with the Seahawks. Also, Charles Cross. If you're missing your two tackles in this league, in a game where you're about to go play, oh, excuse me, you already played the Rams. You're about to go play the Niners, if I'm not mistaken. Who do the Seahawks play this week? I know we got week two picks coming up later, but um, who do they play this week? No, they play the Lions, man. I'm tripping. That's tough. It's tough because that Lions defense, I think, is really going to be real. I do. I know that they faced the Chiefs without Travis Kelsey. 
I understand the Chiefs defense held their offense in check pretty well, but when you're talking about both of your tackles, Tyler Lockett was getting evaluated for a concussion. Thankfully, Devon Witherspoon is going to make his debut in week two. So that's really going to help, uh, you know, instances and really being in the secondary as that Lions team is going to look to really continue to be a lead and, and have those big plays. So just some week one notable injuries there. Um, as you know, we start to get into week two. Get ahead into a break here. This has been the NFL with AJL episode 40. Damn, we are already 56 minutes into the show. I've been talking a good bit, but you know what? That's okay. I thought the show was going to be a little shorter, but we're vibing, man. We're having a good time. You guys could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here with me on episode 40. Please make sure to like the show, share the stream, wherever you're watching. Drop a comment in the chat on the live. Drop a comment on the video. If you see it after the live, please and thank you at the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms. Of course, the QR code right here will give you every bit of social media and podcast content. If you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough. Leave me a review on podcast platforms. Subscribe to get the latest episodes. Share the post. Get in the comments. Debate me about anything you got. The NFL That is what we do here on the show. And as always, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs. Whether you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate, Buy and Sell with AJL is the real estate team you need to contact. Drop your email down below or get at them on social media to get on their exclusive newsletter that keeps you ahead of the daunting headlines, the real estate market. The sky is not falling as much as you think in real estate. And you can also take advantage of their AI as well. Again, drop your email down in the comments or DM them on social media to get some AI implementation that really helps out sellers and even buyers in a situation as well. We're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back in two minutes.
Welcome back into the show, episode 40 of the NFL with AJL. It's about damn time I get my uh, pre-recorded break in there, doing a solo show. Got to give myself a second to talk. Get in the chat, get in the comments, let me know what you think about the uh, the little interval there. Do you guys like the beat? Did it uh, keep you tapped in enough to to stay in through the show? Ultimately, though, you, your boy needed to breathe and get some water in his system as we uh, get into kind of the second hour here. It's not going to be a two-hour podcast, but who has to avoid the 0-2 hole in the NFL as we get into week two of the NFL season. Since 1990, only 31 of the 270 NFL teams that began a season 0-2 went to the playoffs. Last year, the Bengals recovered from losing their first two games to finish 12-4, and and they reached the AFC title game. Or uh, maybe not last year, but when the Bengals did start 0-2, they recovered, go 12-4, and and reach the AFC title game. They're 11.5% going back to those 31 of 270 NFL teams since 1990. 11.5%. That's the amount of 0-2 teams in the NFL since 1990, the last 33 years, make the NFL playoffs. I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got a count over here. I've got nine NFL teams, really one that needed to, two that don't have to, but nine teams in total I'm going to discuss here that have to avoid this 0-2 hole. I think the first obvious one is the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen playing as horribly as we, you know, he did. That's a big concern. Um, for us. We don't want to see Josh Allen play that way. We know Josh Allen is capable of playing much better than that. And, um, you know, losing such an emotional game, kind of mailing in what was an emotional game for the Jets. You don't want to fall to 0-2 here. I mean, when you're talking about the Bills being 0-2 with the expectations that they had this year, that's that's not something that's going to fly at all. Now, they do play the Raiders Sunday, September 17th, 1 p.m., And I think they'll be able to avoid the hole here. I really do. We're going to have the week two picks coming up, but I've got the Bills winning this in a bounce back game, so they do avoid the 0-2 hole. But with the way Josh Allen played in week one, with the way the Jets are going to have the grid in the division, Miami's the best team in the division right now, and we don't really know what the Patriots are going to be yet. And you can say we don't know what any of the division is going to be. I always say September and October football. It's kind of bullshit until you get to the back half of the season, November, December, who's playing in January and February. That is where the real rubber hits the road. I've got the Bills avoiding the 0-2 hole realistically, but if they do fall to 0-2, you're going to start to see that panic meter creep up. The Kansas City Chiefs, I think, will easily avoid the 0-2 hole, being the defending Super Bowl champions. We know they want to go back-to-back. They want to repeat. They play the Jacksonville Jaguars in the Jaguars' home opener. I think it's going to be a fantastic game between Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick, and maybe we can say now that Patrick Mahomes, of course, should have been the number one overall pick in that draft because of what Mahomes has turned into. But there's going to be a battle here, an absolute battle. I've got the Chiefs beating the Jags, though, but the Chiefs have to avoid that 0-2 hole. Again, 11.5% of teams, you don't want to see that happen. Travis Kelsey is coming back. Apparently, he was trolling his knee injury. Chris Jones is back. He signs the one-year deal. Haven't forgot about posting that clip. We're still going to drop that on the YouTube channel as well. But the Chiefs have to avoid the 0-2 hole. I don't think they'll fall victim to it, but you if you did have them fall to 0-2, the whole house is coming down. They're they're selling all the cards, or I guess they're they're pulling the pot out from the middle of the table. That's not something that uh, Chiefs betters, fans, and overall spectators are going to want to see from this team. The Los Angeles Chargers have to avoid the O2 hole. They lose in Week One, shootout with the Dolphins. I had the Chargers winning that game because I really just thought the Chargers were a better team than the Miami Dolphins. 
They play the Titans this week on the road. Some people are picking the Titans. Pick a side podcast. I saw three out of the four of you. I want to say, was it Dells? I can't remember how they have the heads lined up on there. But um, a lot of y'all were picking Tennessee. I'm going to take the Chargers in this game. They do avoid the 0-2 hole, but 0-2 hole, Brandon Staley's hot seat definitely starts to heat up. Again, defensive-minded head coach. You have the most expensive roster in the NFL defensively. What are you doing? You have a Bosa. You have a Derwin James. You have an Asante Samuel Jr. What's going on? Chargers, I've been saying for a couple seasons now, it's time to get it together. And if they go into the 0-2 hole, I already know Brandon Staley's job is going to be called for. It's kind of already getting looked at after week one because they're having questions. Is he the guy? We know Herbert's Herbert. If Herbert continues to put up the numbers he does and continue to have the support and love that he does as a player, he's not going anywhere. We know he's not going anywhere because of the deal he just signed. So they're going to be taking a look at Brandon Staley if they go 0-2 here. The Denver Broncos have to avoid the 0-2 hole as well. They absolutely have to avoid going 0-2. A lot of dink and dunk offense in week one. We see Russell Wilson not take any deep shots, really. We see Sean Payton have an onside kick to open the game that turns into a go-ahead score for the Raiders in a one-point loss. The Sean Payton era is off to a very underwhelming start. You cannot go 0-2 here. You can't do it. I want to see who the Broncos play because I'm having a hard time remembering. I thought I had it written out here. Yeah, the Broncos play the Commanders Sunday, September 17th, 425. Broncos are at home. Broncos were also at home to open up against the Raiders as well. They can win this game, definitely. But Eric Bieniemy is still that OC. The Commanders still just had a hard-fought win, really, against the Arizona Cardinals. It could be a potential upset. I don't want it to be an upset. I'm rooting big time for Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Outside of my Saints, I'm probably rooting for Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Like They're at the top of my list of people that I'm rooting for outside of New Orleans. It's a great story. I believe they're really going to be able to have a crazy offense. Russell Wilson will be brought back to life. All the respect will be earned, but not if they slip into that 0-2 hole. The Pittsburgh Steelers, after getting blown out in week one, 30-7 at home against the San Francisco 49ers, who are the best team in the NFL right now, they have to avoid the 0-2 hole as well. All the preseason hype, the picket fence, <laughs> hilarious. I mean, you are going into a game this weekend that, is is huge. It is. And after coming off of a loss to the San Francisco 49ers, well, really a game next week, excuse me, with it being Monday Night Football, you're playing the Cleveland Browns, who just embarrassed the Cincinnati Bengals. They gave Joe Burrow his worst career day at the office. Worst day at the office in his career by far. And Joe Burrow is going to have a lot of adjustments to make. That front seven for the Browns, the Browns secondary, the entire Browns defensive side of the ball, insane the way that they played against the Cincinnati Bengals. And you know they're going to bring that to the Steelers. The Steelers just played the best defense in the NFL in the San Francisco 49ers. The Browns right now are an elite defense, top five, top seven, top nine, whatever the hell you want to say. When you do that to Joe Burrow, understand it's a calf injury, understand that he's got the week one jitters, understand he didn't play in preseason, but the facts are still the facts. I've got the Steelers winning this game because I just don't see Mike Tomlin losing at home again on Monday Night Football on a nationally televised game to the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Browns are good enough to win the football game. I'm rooting big time for the Cleveland Browns, rooting for the rooting for Deshaun Watson as well. 
But the Steelers cannot go 0-2 here. A couple more teams in the AFC before we get into the NFC. Cincinnati Bengals clearly cannot go 0-2 either. They've got Super Bowl aspirations. They've got AFC title game aspirations. Back-to-back years with the AFC title game. Just speaking of the Cleveland Browns, who gave them their worst career day at the office. They're not going to go 0-2, though. They're playing a... Baltimore Ravens team that is missing two very key pieces in their offensive lineman, an elite safety, and an elite running back when he's healthy. That's going to be tough. Joe Burrow probably will have a big bounce back day not having Marcus Williams back in that secondary. Now, of course, you still have that Ravens defensive culture and you still have, you know, the defensive coordinator in place. But the Cincinnati Bengals have to avoid the 0-2 hole. Now, they were the team I just mentioned that did go 12-4, and get to the AFC title game, and that's great. That is absolutely fantastic. But with that week one outing against that Browns defense, which there might just be a couple defenses in the NFL that are better than that. But guess what? You're going to have to see them again. Bengals can't go 0-2. I don't think they will. The only AFC Great, and Toolage is already on full display. Already on full display. Nothing you can say about it. You see the effect he is already having on Anthony Richardson as he goes toe-to-toe in week one with the former number one overall pick. So, I mean, yeah, the Colts are playing the number two overall pick, respectfully, in C.J. Stroud, and the number three overall pick in Will Anderson going up against the number four overall pick and Anthony Richardson. I've got the Colts winning this football game, so they'll be one and one. The Colts won't make the playoffs in the AFC simply because of the fact of how loaded it is, and even if Anthony Richardson does play at a very high level for a rookie, like even if he possibly flirted with Justin Herbert-type rookie numbers, or 75 to 80% of that, I just don't know if the team around him has got enough to take him far, but damn if he doesn't look good. Damn if he doesn't look good. So that's the only AFC team. Bills, Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, Steelers, Bengals need to and have to avoid the 0-2 hole. The Colts will, avo- Colts will avoid the 0-2 hole. C.J. Stroud is actually questionable in this game with a shoulder injury. And um, Anthony Richardson looks good. Looks damn good. On to the NFC teams that need to avoid the 0-2 hole. Seattle Seahawks. They lose horribly, horribly to the what we all thought were going to be very underwhelming, Los Angeles Rams. The Rams with Puka Nakua, absolute, or Puka Nakua, however you say it, absolutely go off. Guy turns into Cooper Cup. 2-2 outs well, goes off as well. Both of them, I think both of them having 119 receiving yards, if I'm not mistaken. Matthew Stafford being very comfortable. Now, Devon Witherspoon was not playing, which is very apparent. You see it in the secondary. Charles Cross and, damn, I just forgot the other lineman's name. We just talked about it in the injury segment. Um, you know, both of those tackles are possibly going to be out. It's going to be very tough here. It's going to be very tough because when you look at the fact that, again, they're going up against that Lions team, it's going to, uh, the Lions defense has to still come into form, but this could be the game that it happens, especially with the tackle questions. Thankfully, Devon Witherspoon's going to be back, but the Seahawks have to avoid the 0-2 hole because they're one of the better teams that we're looking at in the NFC to not make it out, but make it into the playoffs. Of course, the Niners are going to be there to win the division, but if the Seahawks play well enough, they could damn sure give them a hard time for it. We've seen it in years past. No question about that. But the Seahawks have to avoid the 0-2 hole with the talent that they have. 
Geno Smith clearly is trying to still prove himself. One comeback player of the year is great, but that was literally an anomaly compared to your career. And Pete Carroll still got to do some things for people to buy in more on him, not buy in more on him, but we've wanted to see more out of Pete Carroll for a while, especially going to back-to-back Super Bowls. The Minnesota Vikings needed to avoid the 0-2 hole, but now they're here. We talked about them earlier in the show, 11-0 last year in one-score games, already 0-2 this year. They were undefeated last year in one-score games. They are nothing but defeated this year in one-score games. And with the Vikings being another top or potentially top NFC team, I had them winning eight or nine games. I can't necessarily remember. With the Vikings being a top NFC team, with them possibly, some people saying that they could hang with the 49ers later in the postseason if they had to. They could possibly hang with the Eagles later in the postseason if they had to. I don't think that's really... Much to say because you've got Kyle Shanahan, obviously, with the Niners and really just a loaded team, especially that defensive side of the ball. And then you've got the Eagles who just outmatch everyone in quarterback, no doubt about that. And Kirk Cousins is a respectable guy. And again, he can only do so much. They they blew a four-touchdown game from Kirk Cousins. Not something you want to see at all, especially with the expectations that the Vikings, fan, the Vikings fans had coming into this season. Because we know they're better than this. Justin Jefferson. Jordan Addison, both look great. Alexander Madison, TJ Hawkinson, still got Harrison Smith. You still got Daniil Hunter. Like, you want to keep this momentum up that you had in the offseason and really keep it going forward so you're not in this 0-2 hole and literally having a 11.5% chance of making the playoffs. And this team doesn't need to avoid the 0-2 hole, but I would like them to because I still have them winning the division barring what the Lions turn into, is the Chicago Bears. They lose 38-20 to in their opener, of course, against the Green Bay Packers. Jordan Love goes off. Justin Fields, unfortunately, does not. They still look like the worst defense in the league compared to them being the worst defense, being the worst defense in the league last year. And then also, um, they play the Bucs. They play the Bucs, who are, are at home now, coming off of a nice win to the Vikings that I just mentioned, needed to miss the 0-2 hole, beat them in that one-score game. The Bucs are feeling a lot of great momentum right now. Baker Mayfield showed them that he's able to do the little things that he needs to do and still has that offensive talent around him. The defense is still intact. The defense is definitely better than Chicago's defense. And we would probably say right now that that Bucs offense is looking better than the Bears offense. But of course, we'll have some takeaways if that game ends up game ends up being good for us. But teams that have to avoid the 0-2 hole because only 31 of 270 football teams since 1990 began a season 0-2 and went to the playoffs. That is 11.5%. The Bills, Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, Steelers, Bengals, and Seahawks absolutely need to avoid the 0-2 hole. The Colts and Bears, it would be nice to see them avoid the 0-2 hole, but they don't have to. I think there's a lot of hidden potential in both of those teams. It's going to take some time to come out. Clearly, the Minnesota Vikings are in the 0-2 hole already. I want to get to this because we had information come out on it. I actually was looking last night for the lineup on the show, and we saw that the news had broke that the Tuies responded to Michael Orr's lawsuit where Michael Orr said that he did not receive a penny for any of his image or likeness in the heartwarming, tear-jerking movie, The Blind Side. We were all devastated, very curious questioning this news as to why it took him so long. He figured out there was the conservatorship in place. He feels like he was duped. He feels like he was hoodwinked, led astray, ran amok, 
from the Tuies, but the Tuies gave him a conservatorship because Michael Ower was out of the system. He was over 18 years old. Now, yes, we do have the stickiness of the information of the two he's saying that conservatorship was no different than adoption. It was just written to take his age into account, which is true. But with Big Mike, Michael Lohr, respectfully, NFL legend, if you ask me, Super Bowl champion, played in two Super Bowls, had a chance to win one with Cam Newton. He clearly wasn't aware of the business decisions that were wrapped up inside that. And his attorney later came to figure out, which is why the lawsuit came out back in February, allegedly, that Michael Ower was going after them for not being paid a dime. Sandra Bullock made about $6 million, obviously won the major award from it. We hear about the net proceeds. 2.5% of the net proceeds go into the family, and I think two hundred and twenty-five dollars go into each of the Tui children. And apparently Michael Ower made nothing. Well, the Tuies have responded to Michael Ower's lawsuit. And just kind of a timeline on this. So Michael Ower speaks out, you know, says that he's been hoodwinked by the OE, uh, by the Tuies. The Tuies come out and say that Michael Ower tried to shake them down for $15 million if he didn't basically, or he was going to go public with his story if they didn't give him $15 million. The attorney for the family came forward and said, that's not only insulting, but downright ridiculous. And we didn't take advantage of Big Mike. So, you know, just to get into a little bit of it, a four-page response to a petition that Ower filed in Tennessee last month Sean and Leanne Tui said the proceeds from the 2009 hit movie, The Blind Sign, were divided evenly among themselves, their two children, and Michael Orr. All the Tui's family, including the petitioner, agreed to this arrangement where each party would get 20% of proceeds paid, the response said from the Tui's. The response went on to say the family received a portion of the $225,000 paid to acclaimed author Michael Lewis, whose best-selling book was the basis for the film. So they did get some of that kickback from the book, obviously. Couple also said they received a $200,000 donation to their foundation from the film's proceeds. So someone went out there, donated 200 grand to their foundation from from the money of oh, excuse me, from the money of course that was made from the amazing movie The Blind Side. Michael Ower said uh, had the opportunity to receive the same amount for the charity of his choice but apparently failed to take the necessary action. They also denied ever telling Ower that they planned to adopt him. However, they acknowledged having using the term adopt in a colloquial, colloquial, that's one word that trips me up, sense, to describe their relationship with him. They never intended that reference to be viewed with legal implication, the response said. Um, when it became clear that the petitioner could not consider going to the university, hold on, the, uni- the two he said in the filing that they became Ower's conservators only so he would be able to, of course, play football at Ole Miss. When it became clear that the petitioner, Michael Ower, could not consider going to the University of Mississippi as a result of living with the Tuies, the NCAA made it clear that the only way he could attend Ole Miss was if Ower was somehow part of the family, the response said. Conservatorship was the tool chosen to accomplish this goal, which is true. And and, and we've talked about this possibly getting personal, right, for Michael Ower, why did he take so long to come out and say something about it? If he didn't really get his money, he should get a claim, no doubt. Now we finally have the statement from the Tuies saying that he was eligible to get said money, but apparently didn't take the actions to get it. And apparently all the proceeds were split between them, the kids, and Big Mike as well. Instead, less than three months after Ower turned 18 in 2004, the petition said the couple tricked him into signing a document making them his conservators, which gave them which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his 
name. Respondents stand ready, willing, and able to terminate the conservatorship by consent at any time because Big Mike has said that he wants the conservatorship the, two, uh, the conservatorship with the Tuies to terminate. And the Tuies said, okay, that's fine. We are ready, willing, and able to terminate the conservatorship by consent at any time. And we were waiting on this response from the Tuies, right? We were curious as to what they were going to actually do at this point and really overall how things were going to shake out. Um, because we hated to see this. We heard of this coming forward. We were like, what? He was tricked. He wasn't adopted. What is this? How is this even happening? But if he's making the claim that he didn't get his money, which we'll never really know until the settlement happens, go for it, man. You got, you guys heard me when I said it, I told y'all I would give you an update. Go for it, dude. You had a movie written off of you beating the odds. And then you wrote a memoir about it. It was beautiful. The movie, the memoir, the book, they did a great job. Now, of course, Big Mike said he did not want to speak out about the movie at the time and the negative, or not the negative, but the misportrayal of him because he didn't want to take away from the message. That's understandable. You can get that. He, he wanted the kids, the community, the people out there to really feel the story of what he was talking about. So that's respectable. But apparently he was going to shake them down for $15 million or you know, or if they didn't give him 15 M's, he was going to go public with the story. Now he's went public with it anyway. So we're going to continue to get updates unfolding on this. We're going to continue to see how things shake out with Michael Ower, the blind side, the twoies, this, that, and the third. Let's jump right into the week two picks for the NFL season picking every week two game picking every game for the 2023 nfl season all the way up into the super bowl i went nine and seven in week one nine and seven on the season as well you guys see the picks to the left of me here kind of felt like this was a little bit of a better layout for you so let's go ahead and get into it i was uh, i didn't put out a pick for the eagles vikings but i would have picked the eagles to win this game clearly they won it packers falcons packers falcons here i think will be a good game I'm not so hype about the Packers beating the Bears because, yes, the Bears did load up on defense, but clearly they're still trying to sort that out, right? Clearly they are still having issues on the defensive side of the ball. The Falcons' defense is one of the best in the NFL. We saw what they did to Bryce Young. Clearly they did have some concerns on both sides of the ball. Drake London not getting a lot of involvement. Kyle Pitts getting late involvement. Des Desmond Ritter at one point was 4 for 4 with 0 yards. But I genuinely think the Falcons are a better team than the Green Bay Packers. It's going to be a good coaching matchup. I like the the I, I like the Falcons roster on both sides of the ball better. I guess you could kind of take a hit or miss between Desmond Ritter and Jordan Love, but I'm going to take the Falcons here in this one. I've already told you guys I'm taking the Bills in a bounce back game against the Raiders. I was wrong about the Raiders. The way that they were able to hang in there and beat the Broncos was very impressive. Of course, Josh Allen played horrible football. I've got a bounce back game here for the Bills. They're not being on the road. They cannot go 0-2. Here's how they avoid the 0-2 hole. The Bengals and the Ravens, I will take the Cincinnati Bengals, clearly with the Ravens missing four starters. We talked about that earlier in the show. Joe Burrow is going to have a major bounce back, day, bounce back day and get a break of not having Marcus Williams back there to tool around with T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd or Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow is going to burn the tape from the last game, really forget about it happening, and ultimately is going to move forward and get him a win here. I've got the Seahawks and the Lions. The Seahawks missing their two possible tackles. Now, thankfully, Devon Witherspoon will be out there Frank Ragnow was the only really concern for the Lions, possibly on the injury report, but he is healthy with that toe injury. He will be playing the game. He is a full participant, or he was an FP in practice. I don't want to see the Seahawks lose, but now the Lions are at home, probably still feeling a lot of that hype. I was probably wrong about the Lions, because if that defense comes around and that offense stays elite, especially when Jamison Williams comes back, they're going to be 
a problem. A game that I see is going some ways in some um, some ways in certain uh, pickums, but not in mine. I'm going to take the Chargers here. They lose that shootout to the Dolphins last week. Brandon Staley's off defense is now. Going to get a little bit of a break. Maybe Ryan Tannehill also doesn't play as bad as he did against the New Orleans Saints, who were an elite defense in the week one matchup. He does have DeAndre Hopkins. He does have Traylon Burks. He does have Derrick Henry. Now, the Saints did just super duper shut down Derrick Henry, which Derrick Henry, which I knew was a key to the game. I was surprised by because I was very, very frightened by our defensive line. Um, and the Chargers don't have much of a defense, let alone a defensive line. So the Titans damn sure could make this a long one for the Chargers, but I'm going to take the Chargers here. Maybe I'll get burned taking the Chargers back-to-back weeks. Bucks facing the Bears. Bucks are at home. They're in the home opener. I'm going to take the Buccaneers here as well. They got a nice high riding off of beating the Vikings in that one-score game. Baker Mayfield apparently figured out the hand signals in that game against the Minnesota Vikings and was able to really decipher what was going on with that defense. I want to pick the Bears in a bounce-back game, but with the way you just lose to a Packers team that I'm not very high on, the way the offense looked, the Bucks defense is clearly better than the Packers defense, in my opinion, especially with the defensive-minded head coach Bucks are at home. I'll easily take that one. I mentioned earlier that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to avoid that 0-2 hole. They have to. They're on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's going to be a great coaching matchup. It's going to be a great offensive showdown, possibly a great defensive showdown, great quarterback showdown, probably the game of the week here. I'll have my eyes on this one big time. Go ahead and give me the... Uh, excuse me, go ahead and give me the Kansas City Chiefs possibly in a shootout. I could see a 35 to 31 potential type of matchup. It's going to be a really good one. We've got the battle of the number two and the number four overall picks here in the, um, excuse me, we got a battle of, yes, the number two and the number four overall picks here in Anthony Richardson going on the road. C.J. Stroud in his uh, home opener debut, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Ravens, yes, the Ravens were at home last week. Anthony Richardson looked absolutely great last week. I think he's going to be even in more of a rhythm, a less, uh, uh, excuse me, an inferior team to the Jacksonville Jaguars, clearly in the Houston Texans, and also a uh, an inferior defense with the Houston Texans as well. Shane Steichen is going to get a lot more um, – a lot, lot more chemistry going on here with Anthony Richardson. I think he's going to be more comfortable. C.J. Stroud's also questionable with that shoulder injury as well. We got the Niners off of a blowout over the Steelers, and I think they're going to continue their same ways here. Not a blowout, but I will take the Niners in this game. Now, the Rams were impressive. We do understand that both tackles go down, and they didn't have their you know rookie, who's supposed to be a star, in Devin Witherspoon, who got drafted so early play yet. Again, he's making his NFL debut, so that is going to be that is going to be nice to see. But I will take the Niners here in this game. Giants over the Cardinals—that's a simple one. Giants have to bounce back off the forty to nothing loss if they fall here in the hole. They could have been a team that had to avoid the zero and two hole for me, but I wasn't very high on the Giants coming in. I like you know I like their offseason kind of, and I like the fact that Daniel Jones got a lot of work last year. Brian Dable's done his thing, but the Cardinals are a very bad football team. If the Giants lose here. The fans are going to be absolutely shitting the bed, so I'll take the Giants on the road. Jets and Cowboys. Some people are taking the New York Jets here. Will Dak Prescott crumble under the emotion that the Jets have behind them, playing with that grit for Aaron Rodgers? Will Dak be able to perform against an elite defense? But really, I think it comes down to can Zach Wilson perform against an elite defense? Possibly one of, not possibly one of the best. They are one of the best defenses in the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys. I will take Dallas at home. Um, I, w- I don't think it'll be a blowout. I could see like, uh, 
21 to 17 game Dallas very very defensive football game we have the commanders traveling over to the Denver Broncos here I'm going to take the Broncos in this game now the commanders do have a shot to upset here because of how Sean Payton and the Broncos played in week one uh, their defense was good but when you talk about Eric Bieniemy being that offensive coordinator that's going to present some questions on how is that offense going to look coming into week two I know the Broncos have enough in the tank to win it Sean Payton and Russell Wilson bounce back here with the win Two is 5-0 and oh against the Patriots. He's going on the road to play the New England Patriots, coming off of one of his best days of all time, arguably his second best day behind the six-touchdown game against the Ravens. Um, now, Bill Belichick, I think, will really have some things here with, uh, what's it called? Bill Belichick will have some things to sort out here with Tua. Uh, not things to sort out with Tua, but some defensive schemes to play on Tua here. Um, so Tua really doesn't you know, come out and throw the ball all over the yard like he did against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And I don't believe that Belichick is going to let Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle run free. At least Tyreek will be doubled, if not bracketed, so he can't get up the field. But I'm going to take a wild offense, even though there might be a possible elite defense there to stop it. Give me the Dolphins. You already know I'm taking my Saints on Monday Night Football over Bryce Young, who struggled last week against a good Falcons defense, facing a arguably even better, if not just as good defense, in the New Orleans Saints, who has already proven to be elite and played very well last week against the Titans. They just unfortunately played down to their competition. New Orleans on Monday Night Football in a national game will take it. And as much as I want to take the Cleveland Browns in this game because of how well they played and how much they shocked the world against the Bengals, I called them in that upset. Go look at the last video of the title. Browns will upset Bengals at home. Loved that upset call there. I just don't see Mike Tomlin taking another L and going 0-2, taking an L at home against the Browns team that's in a divisional, against the Browns team that he's able to have their number, uh, realistically is the better coach than Stefanski. But if Deshaun Watson at any point decides to play just 70% of what he was, he's going to be better than Kenny Pickett. Both of these offenses are loaded with weapons. Both of these defenses are loaded with weapons. That's why I think it comes down to coaching here as Deshaun Watson, I don't believe yet, is going to take that real step and be that elite quarterback because he didn't play like that in week one. Give me the Steelers here in this game. Took the Eagles, so I'm 1-0 for the week. Give me the Falcons, Bills, Bengals, Lions, Chargers, Bucks, Chiefs, Colts, Niners, Giants, Cowboys, Broncos, Dolphins, who dat? New Orleans Saints, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And speaking of the New Orleans Saints, you guys already know we do the who dat corner at the end of every single podcast where the NFL with AJL brings you weekly New Orleans Saints updates. And before we get to the Saints-Panthers Monday Night Football preview, we're going to talk about Peyton Turner being out, needing surgery, and Isaiah Foskey can really step up here. And I really need Isaiah Foskey to step up because I believe he's got a lot of talent in him. He's got a lot of potential in him. When we made the pick, I was like, eh, wanted to see other guys go in front of him. When we saw Brian Brissy with the pick as well, I was like, eh, kind of wanted to see other guys go in front of him. Proceeds made some plays, though. I think he's had a lot better news out of camp and overall in this offseason, of course, coming out of the draft being a higher pick than Isaiah Foskey did. Payton Turner's a bust. Okay, he's a fucking bust. He honestly doesn't need to be on the team any longer, and I don't like to get that way about players. So I, I, I do apologize for being like that, but Payton Turner is a bust. I didn't agree with him in the first-round pick. We didn't need him that year. We, we shouldn't have taken him in that year as a first-round pick. Do we need defensive line? Yes, we've needed defensive line for a couple drafts now. Peyton Turner's out. He's going to need surgery. I think Peyton Turner should really just kind of go back down to 
second, third, or possibly fourth team reps, whatever he's at, take him a little lower because I, I just I don't like what he's bringing to the table. Maybe on practice squad, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the guy, but when you spend a first-round pick on a much-needed position and you don't perform, that's going to piss fans off. That's not going to be something that, that people want to see. I believe Isaiah, Isaiah Foskey has all the tools to be better than Peyton Turner. He really does. Great build. He can swim around the edge. Um, I like the finesse that he overall plays with. He's had some good experience in college football. And overall, he just seems like an animal with a great motor on the defensive line. Him stepping in, Cam Jordan, Brian Bercy. It's time for Isaiah Foskey to step up. Definitely time for him to step up big time because with the Saints picking him, knowing that, again, they needed that defensive line help, that's everything. That's absolutely everything that you wanted the Saints to do because you know Cam Jordan is aging, because you know Cam Jordan has the contract now, because you know Cam Jordan might not have very many good football years left ahead of him, but he's still out there giving 110% every day. Go get mentored by Dennis Allen, who is a good defensive coach. We've seen the type of defense he's brought to the New Orleans Saints. Go ahead and get mentored by Cameron Jordan. Talk to your boy Brian Brissett. Talk to Demario Davis, who can also rush the passer well. Um, and, and really just get your reps in because that's what Foskey's going to need now. He's got the opportunity to step up, to make a name for himself, and I believe he's got all the tools in the bag to make it happen. We signed Terrell Smith, who actually won the Super Bowl with the Rams, so I was very positive about that. He's only been in the league, I think, for uh, this is his fourth year he's in the league. Of course, we signed him in the wake of Peyton Turner going out. And a solid player. Nothing too you know, major that's really going to make you – uh, you know, s- things that are jumping off paper or numbers that are jumping off paper or, you know, his play style. Like, yes, he can be vicious. He can win around the edge. He can win through the middle. He can get you pressure, quarterback hits, sacks. He's also got the tools to be a good defensive lineman as well. Clearly, that's why the Rams had him there winning a Super Bowl with him. Um, but you can't blame the Saints for bringing in a veteran, right? Like, this is what teams do when other players get hurt and they go out. Love the fact that, uh, excuse me, Isaiah Foxy gets the chance to step up. I hate that Peyton Turner continues to be out, but he is a bust. He's going to have to get surgery, and ultimately, we'll see what the Saints do with him afterwards. And let's go, Isaiah Foskey. Let's go, Brian Brissy. Let's go, Cam Jordan. Get these guys on the line. Let, let, let's, let's go, Kalen Saunders. Let's make it happen because, again, like I said, reviewing the Saints-Titans game, Derek Carr was pressured. Let me look at that, actually. My freaking Saints insider, no joke. No kidding, my Saints insider. Let me see what he has said. Where is it at? Dang, I've, oh, there it goes. Let's see. He told me, where was it? Derek Carr was pressured on over 50% of his snaps, yet had 70% accuracy in the game, and that was with uh, Trevor Penning and a Cesar Ruiz that were just non-existent straight up non-existent. And if we want to have that type of New Orleans Saints balanced team, which we've kind of never had, but we're looking for now, we're feeling really good about Derek Carr, most net passing yards in the game since we've had Drew Brees Christmas on 2020 when Alvin Kamara runs for six touchdowns. Understanding that he still threw for 300 yards a touchdown, yes, an ugly interception, yes, didn't perform well in the end zone because we need a better O-line. But when you have that defensive line on the other side of the ball, it by default makes you better on the offensive side of the ball because it's less pressure taken off. It's pressure taken off of your secondary. Let's establish the elite trenches like we used to have. Because now the secondary is what our trenches used to be. And our secondary used to be horrible. But now we've got a Marshawn Lattimore. Now we've got an Elante Taylor. Now we've got a Paulson Adebo. Makes me wish we could have kept it. I mean, we probably had the best 
safety duo in the league in Marcus Williams and CJ Garner-Johnson. Just imagine. Now we've got to start working on these aspects of the defensive line to get it back to where it needs to be. Saints-Panthers Monday Night Football Preview. I was pleased with Derek Carr in week one. Outside of the interception, I was pleased with Derek Carr in week one. And I expect to see really the same thing out of him. We played a good Titans defense. That was one of our better games of the year. Now we get to go on national television and play on a Monday night football game, sharing it respectfully with the Browns and Steelers. You got Bryce Young at home in his opener. You got Bryce Young on a primetime game. Coming off of a tough loss with a couple of interceptions to Jesse Bates. Welcome to the NFL moment with Bryce Young. And now he will face another elite, just as good, if not better, defense compared to the Atlanta Falcons, where I just mentioned that secondary out there who did absolutely great in week one. And I expect no different in week two. I expect probably a couple of more interceptions off of Bryce Young, at least one. The way our corners are playing this year, the way that they finished out last year, I'm very impressed. Probably the best passing secondary we've had. Well, excuse me, let me backtrack that a little bit because again, C.J. Gardner-Johnson and and Marcus Williams was just absolutely undeniable, and it, it, it crushes me, absolutely crushes me every time I see that we don't have them. But clearly, CJ wanted too much money, so I get that. I expect the secondary to play fairly well. We've got, obviously, Adam Thielen. We've got Hayden Hurst, a Terrace Marshall to possibly worry about, but no true real big threats here. Obviously, CMC not there any longer is with the San Francisco 49ers. This is the first time as a Saints fan that I feel like the secondary is not my issue. Like, I'm like, no, the secondary's good. Secondary's fine. They showed me plenty of plays on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans, and I think against a lesser team of the Carolina Panthers, we will be just fine there. Talking about that defensive line, Peyton Turner is out. Isaiah Foskey steps up. Terrell Smith steps up. Cam Jordan stepping in further. Need to get Kalen Saunders to step further. I mean, I'm not worried about, you know, I'm I'm not worried about them running the ball all over us. I'm not worried about them throwing the football all over the yard. Do I think it can be a competitive game? Yeah, because it's divisional. There is a newer coach, though. This is a rookie quarterback. This isn't a bare roster. There's also no J.C. Horn. So I, you know, expect the defensive line to really be able to apply some pressure here. And overall, the defense, I'm not worried about the defensive side of the football. We'll get tested a little more because it is Bryce Young. It's not Ryan Tannehill, even though Tannehill is a veteran, but Bryce is just going to move better. And apparently there's this rumor out there that the Saints struggle horribly against rookie QBs. And yeah, there are some rookie QBs they played against that wasn't the best. Justin Herbert damn near embarrassed us in the Dome on national television. And we came back because the Chargers chargered and we beat them. The defensive side of the ball, again, I'm fine with. I'd lo- I'm going to enjoy seeing some pressure on Bryce Young. The secondary is going to have it on lock. The offensive line, I need a much better fucking outing than I had from Trevor Penning and Cesar Ruiz in week one, especially with Ruiz getting paid. Carr was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks. Carr was sacked multiple times, knocked down multiple times, hurried multiple times, hit multiple times. That is not a recipe for success year, uh, week over week in the NF, in the National Football League. I said it in the preview and the review against the Titans that the offensive line, really in the review against the Titans, that the offensive line has to step up more. We can't be turnstops. We can't just be blowing through folks just Toro defense as these defenders go by. No, that's not going to happen. That's not going to get you wins 
in a weaker NFC and one of uh, it'll get you wins possibly in a weaker NFC and in a very weak NFC South. But if the Saints were looking to have these playoff aspirations like I know we have and I know we can go into the offensive line has to be down pat because I want to see Jamal Williams with more than, you know, a roughly 20 carries and 60 yards like we saw last week. I want to see more than that. And I know we're waiting on Alvin Kamara to come back as well. I really believe the offense is going to be very different once Kamara comes back. I'm hoping they're already working up schemes, or if not, just have that side of the playbook off to the side waiting for Kamara to come back. Offensive line has to be solid. They have to create that foundation in order for us to get back to those Saints that we were if we believe that we have the talent to do it, which I think we do. Let's talk about the offensive side of the football before we get out of here tonight. Again, Derek Carr, I'm confident in. Not super worried about him against this Carolina Panthers defense. And also the fact that J.C. Horn is out as well. So not something that I'm super going to freak out about here. Running game, Jamal Williams, it's all going to depend on the offensive line. I cannot wait until Derek Carr has Alvin Kamara at his disposal because last game we see Olave, Shahid, and Michael Thomas getting the work in right out the gate. Carter, Michael Thomas. Chris Olave, kind of some pass interference on the deep shot from Derek Carr, but Derek Carr can throw that deep ball. Rashid Saheed with two nice, very nice catches. It just feels good to have a veteran back there again, like I've been saying, to have an offense that feels like it's flowing again, to have a team that feels like it's got the chance to return to not the Drew Brees, Sean Payton-led offense, but maybe about 70 to 75% of that. Because Derek Carr will take the deep shots. He's maybe not the best decision decision maker, and now he's under Dennis Allen. But we've got the receivers to open us up for the big plays because we were that consistent 16, 17, 18, 19-yard play, 78, 79-yard drive every single play when we were towards the end of Breeze's career. And that's why I was saying with Sean Payton, I hope he wasn't so much with the Broncos, you know, or so much with the Saints used to the kind of smaller packages, less air yard packages he was making for Drew Brees and then implementing that on Russell Wilson. I want to see the offense play the exact same way it did last week, but just not the exact same way. I liked the play calling for the most part. I liked the aggression. I liked the way that we spread the ball out, but I want to see better red zone play. I want to see better play calling in the red zone, and I need to see better decision-making from Derek Carr on money downs and especially in the red zone as well because that red zone interception is not going to cut it. I've got the Saints win in this game. Score prediction right now as we're here on the show. Give me the Saints on Monday Night Football on the road to go 2-0 against the Carolina Panthers by a final score of 24 to 14. Either 24 to 14 or maybe about 24 to 10. That was episode 40 of the NFL with AJL. I definitely did not expect to go almost two hours, but damn, I guess I just love it that much. Let's go ahead and get out of here. That was episode 40 of the NFL with AJL. We had a packed show tonight. Please, guys, before we get out of here, make sure to like the stream, subscribe on YouTube, share the stream wherever you're possibly at. Hit the bell on YouTube to never miss a post in the community, a short, a clip. We dropped six clips today, went live at 7 p.m., so seven total pieces of content for you guys. We're at 575 subs. We're on the road to 600K. We're on the road to Super Chats, channel memberships, making actual money from the craft and from the show, and it is not possible without the support of you guys. 
As always, the QR code here in the corner of the screen will give you every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL on all social media platforms. And you can't find me. You're simply not looking hard enough. You could have chose any other podcast tonight, but you were tapped in with me for about an hour and 45 minutes on the show this evening. As we did an Eagles Vikings recap, the Jets outlook post Aaron Rodgers, my favorite college QBs, week one injuries, the 0-2 NFL hole, the two he's responding to Michael Ower, picking every week two game, and the who dat corner. Episode 41 coming on Tuesday. You know we'll have the NFL week two review. Looking to possibly get a guest on the show. As always, love you, need you, and I'll see you in episode 41.